Thank you. It is good to be with you guys. And uh, I remember when Ross would teach down, we met at Calvary Petaluma and he was the assistant pastor there. And I remember one Thursday night midweek Bible study, he got up when Pastor Jay, who was the pastor at the time, um, was gone. And he, Ross got up and he said, you know, the, the role of a guest speaker and the role of an assistant pastor when the senior pastor is gone is to make you wish that the senior pastor was back. <laughs> so my goal this morning is uh, to make sure that you guys appreciate how great of a pastor and teacher uh, you guys have here. So we're going to be looking at Zechariah chapter 4, um, which is in the Old Testament, and I am teaching from a New King James Version, uh, so that's two strikes. I don't know if Ross will let me come back for the second service. Um, all right. Ross and Barb have been an incredible blessing and encouragement to my family, to my wife and I. I actually met my wife as part of the college and career group down in Petaluma, um, and um, now we've been married almost 19 years. Um, so I met Ross when I was 17 or 18, just to be clear, yeah. Almost 20s. All right. We're going to read from Zechariah chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. And it says, Now the angel who talked with me came back and wakened me, as a man who was wakened out of his sleep. And he said to me, What do you see? And I said, I am looking, and there's a lampstand of solid gold with a bowl on top of it, and on the stand seven lamps with seven pipes to the seven lamps. And two olive trees are by it, one at the right of the bowl and the other at its left. So I answered and spoke to the angel who talked with me, saying, What are these, my Lord? Then the angel who talked with me answered and said to me, Do you not know what these are? And I said, No, my Lord. So he answered and said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain, before Zerubbabel? You shall become a plain, and he shall bring forth the capstone with shouts of grace, grace to it. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of his temple, and his hands shall also finish it. And then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. For who has despised the day of small things? For these seven rejoice to see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. They are the eyes of the Lord, which scan to and fro throughout the whole earth. Pray with me. Lord, we thank you for this morning, and we thank you for your word that reminds us and encourages us, uh, God, that you are bigger than all that we could ever imagine or think. 
Lord, every obstacle, every trial, every mountain that we face, Lord, you have the ability and the power to make a plain. And Lord, I thank you for the work that you have accomplished in Rohnert Park. Uh, Lord, the mountains that had been so monstrous and huge before us, and Lord, how you have flattened them to plains. And Lord, we look to you and we give you the glory and the honor and the praise for it is by uh, your spirit that the work has been completed and continues. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, there was a young boy who uh, back in the day had to use an outhouse to go to the bathroom. And so um, as he... uh, would travel there, he just hated going to the bathroom in the outhouse, hated using the outhouse, and he just wanted to get rid of the outhouse. And so one day it was raining and the outhouse was on a hill and the hill was slippery and the water was flowing and he had this thought to himself, I know what I'm gonna do, I'm going to push that outhouse down the hill and get rid of it and abolish it forever. And so that's what he did. He went up to the edge of of the hill and he pushed that outhouse down that hill. Well, later that night, his father called him um, into the living room and he asked him point blankly, he said, did you push the outhouse down the hill? And of course, the boy responded with honesty and said, yes, I pushed the outhouse down the hill. Well, the father As you can imagine, being a little upset, he said, we need to go into the room because now you're going to get a whipping. And the boy objected and he said, but dad, George Washington didn't get in trouble when he chopped down the cherry tree and he was honest. To which the father replied, yes, but George Washington's father wasn't in the cherry tree when it got chopped down. Well, all of us are, are very familiar with who George Washington is. We're all very familiar uh, with George Washington's story about the cherry tree being chopped down and the honesty. And we look throughout America's history and we see these, these figures that, that just caused great turning points within the history of the United States. And we remember them and we honor them. Without them, we would be eating crumpets and drinking tea and speaking English. (laughs) We wouldn't be enjoying the freedoms that we currently have. And so we look back at our history and we remember it. And and this morning, I I wanna just kinda give you as a background, a history to the, uh, the passage that we read, the context for which Zechariah the prophet came on this scene. And so it's gonna be a little bit of a history lesson um, to, to provide the context and to provide the background. Uh, most of us are familiar with the story of Adam and Eve and how um, our, our, our father and mother sinned and fell. Uh, most of us are familiar with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We're familiar with the nation of Israel going into Egypt and being there for 400 years. And then God, uh, through Moses, leading them out into the wilderness Uh, through the Red Sea, walking around for 40 years, and then into the Promised Land. Um, And there in the Promised Land, in the land of Canaan, 
they uh, worshiped God. They had their homeland. It was a land flowing with milk and honey. Um, and then they wanted a king. And so God allowed them to have a king, and they had King Saul. And the kingdom began. And God ripped uh, the kingdom away from Saul and gave it to King David. And we kind of look at those, the, that reign of King David as the glory years of Israel. From there, um, Solomon uh, took over as king and the nation of Israel was one kingdom. But after Solomon, uh, his son Rehoboam uh, came to power. But the problem was is that Rehoboam went to Solomon's counselors and advisors and asked them, how should I govern? And they said, well, your dad was pretty harsh. Your dad, you know, demanded a lot from the people. He put a heavy burden on them. And so if, if we were you, what we would do is we would make everything light and gracious and you serve the people instead of the people serving you. Well, Rehoboam didn't like this. He wanted the power. And so he went to his buddies, the young guys, and he said, what's your counsel? And they said, well, <laughs> what you need to do is he said, you thought my dad was bad? I'm going to be worse. My little finger, my pinky is going to be thicker than my father's waist. My dad whipped, but I'm going to scourge. And so Rehoboam came to the people like that. The people said, no, we're out. Uh, 10 of the 12 tribes uh, separated and the kingdom split in two. And you had the northern kingdom, which was known as Israel, and the southern kingdom known as the kingdom of Judah. And so this split took, a, uh, took place around 930 BC. And the northern kingdom was known as Israel, the southern kingdom known as Judah. And around 722, the northern kingdom, the kingdom of Israel, was conquered by the Assyrians. The, the, the kingdom of Israel had no good king. They were all wicked, evil kings. And so God judged them and chastised them and punished them. And so what he ended up is they got carried away by the Assyrian army. The southern kingdom, the kingdom of Judah was left and they had some good kings. And so God's grace and God's mercy kind of you know, it was extended a little bit longer, but in 605, most of us are familiar with this, King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian Empire came in and they carried away the southern kingdom of Judah into captivity. And they were in captivity for 70 years, as Jeremiah would write. And it's at the end of this 70 years, around 537 BC, when God called two guys, one by the name of Joshua and one by the name of Zerubbabel, to go back to the homeland, to go back to Jerusalem and to rebuild the temple. The temple had been wiped out during the captivity, it had been destroyed, and so these two men, Joshua being the high priest and Zerubbabel being the governor of Judah, were given a decree to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. And I'm sure as you can imagine, um, there was quite a bit of excitement um, that started. They were going back to their homeland and there was a group of people that would follow and there was, there was momentum and, and, and a buzz that surrounded it. And we read in, in Ezra chapter three that they had laid the foundation, they had built the altar, and they had started to sacrifice and worship God. 
and there was this, this shouting with great joy. But in chapter four of Ezra, we see opposition that would begin to arise. There were some adversaries, some opponents that, that would come and threaten the new birth of the, of the temple. They didn't want this nation to succeed. And so they wrote the king of Persia at the time who was a different king than when Joshua and Zerubbabel got the decree to go and rebuild the temple. So it was a different king. They didn't, this king didn't know Joshua and Zerubbabel. And so they write this king and they say, look, this group of people, they're rebuilding their temple. They're gonna rebuild their army. They're gonna rebuild their nation and they're gonna rebel against you. So you need to stop this. And so that king said, you need to stop. And they were given a cease and desist order. And the work of God came to a screeching halt. And for some time, no work was done on the rebuilding of the new temple. There's different periods of time that, that is estimated, some say two years, some say 20 years, some say 16 years from the end of Ezra chapter four to the beginning of Ezra chapter five. And the people, they were discouraged. And I don't know if you can relate to them. I don't know if you can relate to being discouraged where in your life you're doing what God has called you to do you're walking in his ways, but circumstances just aren't working out the way that you thought that I thought. And we begin to reason within ourselves that, that we're in, because we're in a hard situation, that we must not be in the middle of God's will, that we must not be in the middle of God's plan, because if we were, then it would be a lot easier. We thought the outcome would be better. We thought there'd be more money. We thought, we thought, we thought. All these different things, but it's not what we had planned. And so the circumstances surrounding us can, can become so discouraging, and that's what took place there. Joshua and Zerubbabel, they, they had this vision. God had given them this plan, and they had gone with all these people, and there was this great momentum, and they, they built the foundation, and they built the altar, and then all of a sudden, it came to a screeching halt, and, and the people got discouraged. And so the people stopped focusing on the work of God, and they started focusing on building their own houses and their own lives. And Joshua and Zerubbabel was like, come on, guys, let's keep going. And, and the people were like, no. We got our own life to worry about. And so you have Joshua and Zerubbabel, they're incredibly discouraged. At first, there was so much excitement and momentum. But here's the thing, they were right in the middle of God's will. They were right in the middle of God's plan. Isn't that crazy to you? See, somewhere along the way, our thinking has, has deviated. We have developed this thought that if circumstances are hard and circumstances are difficult, then we must be outside of God's plan and God's will for our life. But if you read through scripture, it's actually the complete opposite. Think about the nation of Israel. They, God does these incredible miracles, these 10 plagues. They are delivered from Egypt. 
God shows up to them in a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of smoke by day. It's a visible object that they could follow. How many of you guys would like a visible object so you can know what God's telling you to do? They had it, and wherever that pillar went, that's where the nation of Israel would follow. And where that pillar led them was right down to the Red Sea. They had the Red Sea in front of them. To the left, they had this huge mountain, and to the right, they had this fortress. Oh, and behind them came their enemy. So God had brought them right in the middle where there was absolutely no escape. It was impossible. And the thing that, that, that the Lord continues to remind me, and I want to remind all of us this morning, is God always leads us to the impossible. If what you can do is possible, then it might not be from God. God leads us to the impossible, just like he did to the nation of Israel, because when they were in that place, God did something that had never been seen or done before. And he parted the Red Seas. And they walked through on dry ground. I have found, being a pastor there in Rohnert Park for 11 years, that our story is the epitome of discouragement and difficulty and obstacles. Rohnert Park is an interesting city. Uh, friendly, yeah. They say it's friendly, it's really not. Um, <laughs> but it, it's, when we first planted the church 11 years ago, I mean, I was excited about it. Everything seemed amazing. Um, and then I started to get to know Christian families in Roner Park, and I'd be like, because oh, there's not like a big, huge church in Roner Park. I mean, there's, I think the biggest one might be like 120 people. And so I would ask, well, where do you go to church? And it was always either south to Petaluma or north to Roner Park. And for good reason, there's great churches in Santa Rosa, um, or one good church in Santa Rosa. Um, <laughs> but the spiritual state of Roner Park was dry. And... I remember just hard times. And I remember meeting with Ross one time and you know, I was working full time and Ross at the Starbucks said, well, how much time do you, do you have to prepare? And I go, well, I'm working full time. I've got you know, uh, a teenage daughter and three you know, kids that are you know, two to six and all this. And he's like, okay, and, and who's leading worship? And I'm like, I am. And he's like, okay, so you want people to come to a church where uh, there's bad teaching and bad worship? <laughs> it was pretty close. It was pretty close. That's what you call an exhortation. But it was, it was really good. It was really good for me. And what I started to do was making more time uh, to, to prepare the messages, and our church um, grew from 10, and now it's like 60 people. It's still, we're, very, we're still very small. Um, our worship leader um, is phenomenal, so we got that taken care of. Um, I don't know if any of you guys have heard of Almost Angels. They've been playing a song on, on um, 
the stations around here about the fires and everything like that, but one of the guys is our worship leader. Um, so the Lord has, has blessed that. But in the midst of all of this, we started to pray about how we can reach Roanoke Park. Because we didn't want to be a church where we would steal from other churches or you know, we would keep those families from going to Santa Rosa or to Petaluma, keep them in Roanoke Park. We just felt like the Lord wanted to do a new work in Roanoke Park. And so the, uh, we had no youth in our church and we felt like the Lord said, it's through the youth. You minister to the youth and then their parents will come. So we started, uh, we started a youth group with my daughter, Samantha, um, who was a freshman in high school, and then uh, a, a young boy who liked her. Um, <laughs> and some of you know the Boyers and, and Nathan Boyer. Um, and so we started with two kids, um, and we just focused on the youth. And then all of a sudden, um, myself and my wife and two other people, we were sitting down um, at BJ's in Santa Rosa um, about six years ago, and this dream was birthed. Um, and at first it was just a dream. And we started talking about having a place where we can minister to the kids. And we started thinking, where do the kids go? And there's no place in Rona Park. There's no downtown, there's no skate park. There's no Phoenix like in Petaluma. There's no place in Rona Park where teenagers go to hang out. So we're like, well, what do we do? Then I was driving down Snyder Lane in Rona Park about lunchtime. And right across the street is Rancho Cotati High School. And I could not get through the light because there was like 400 kids just descending upon this shopping center. And then the Lord just hit me. He said, this is where. So we started to talk to the landlord like, hey, what's it gonna cost like, to get in to the building? And um, the landlord was like, no, you guys aren't gonna, you know, he was not willing to work with us, nothing, shut the doors on all of that. And we're like, okay, now we gotta, we gotta hit the fundraising trail. Um, and we did, we did golf tournaments, we, I don't know, in the rock and people from the rock have supported and been a part of all of those things. Um, but uh, two years ago, um, we actually signed the lease uh, for the building. So um, let's go ahead and bring up the first slide. That's us, uh, that's Rob, um, him and his wife um, are on the board with my wife and I. Um, and so we got the keys two years ago. Uh, now, I don't think I'm supposed to say this, but just so you know, um, just an incredible favor from God, we haven't paid rent in two years. So let's go to the next picture. So the name of our student center is called Sozo. It's Greek for rescue. And we didn't want to have to continue to fundraise and do events and, you know, beg and, you know, people. So our concept was very simple. Instead of doing fundraisers, we were going to work. Um, and so we wanted to open up an ice cream sandwich and coffee shop. Um, and the ice cream sandwich, uh, let's go ahead and go to the next slide, is called uh, Squatches. Uh, so partially because... 
um, in that group of four. My nickname is Squatch. Um, but then we also uh, found an ice cream sandwich place in Sacramento called Smush. Um, so you take your cookie and your ice cream and you smush it together. Uh, so now at our place, you take the cookie and ice cream and you squatch it together. Um, but it's gourmet ice cream. We get our ice cream from Mariposa Creamery down in Petaluma, uh, which is super premium ice cream because it has high, higher butter fat, uh, in case you're wondering about that. Um, <laughs> And then we get our coffee from Land and Water Coffee. Um, he's my wife's, yeah. <laughs> he's my wife's brother, Max. Uh, some of you guys know him because he also roasts the coffee for Redwood Gospel Mission. Um, and so all our product is, um, is high quality. Um, and the purpose for that is so that we're open to the public. They're coming in, they're getting a great product at a decent price so that all the money goes to support uh, the student center. So uh, the next slide will show you, this is the beginning of our space. Uh, that's me bent over, peeling off some tile or whatever. You could see the HVAC hanging down and all that. Let's go to the next slide. That's my daughter, um, excited. But you can start seeing how it started to get cleared out. We pulled down the ceiling. Go ahead and go to the next slide. This is some of the work, and it gives you kind of a fuller view of the space. So cutting concrete, jackhammering, um, making ways for the, the plumber. But as you can see, it's kind of this whole view of everything that's going on. All right, let's go to the next slide. And that's the end result. Um, we had to dig up trenches. We had to add new plumbing. Uh, to it, um, so I spent like three day no like three days cutting concrete with a huge concrete saw jackhammering um, the The result of this was three herniated discs, uh, one out my left side, one out the back, and one out the right. I had it all covered. Um, you can go to the next slide uh, there's a after we tore everything down, we needed to seal the floor, so that's a picture of us. Um, seal, uh, go to the next slide. Uh, the walls started to go up. Um, we got connected with Stockholm Construction, um, and they, they did all the work, all the walls and all the ceilings. Um, so it started to, to come together. Let's go ahead and go to the next, yeah. So that's kind of the overview of the progress. Let's go ahead and go to the next slide. Now here it is. This is the ice cream sandwich and, and coffee shop. We really leaned into the whole Squatches theme um, and, and it's phenomenal. Um, our, my wife and Christy, um, who they were kind of the interior decorators and the visionaries behind all of this. Uh, so it's a legit coffee shop. Um, there on the sponsor board up there is Calvary Chapel, The Rock. Um, Ross asked me how to be front and center, what he needed to do. <laughs> now, this is the student center. Um, this is the side where the kids can go from uh, 7 a.m. till 10 p.m. 
Um, everything, we have a pool table, ping pong table, foosball table, couches, TVs, um, that stage that you see, that's all, eventually we'll have live shows where they can do talent shows, uh, open mic nights. Currently, uh, they like to turn on the, the music and they like to do karaoke. Um, and there, there was one girl that tried out for American Idol, um, and I just said, well, if you get famous, you gotta remember that you got your start at Sozo. Um, <laughs> and help support. Um, let's go ahead and go to the next slide. So now we are fully open. We opened about in the beginning of September on the, on the student center side. And as you can see, the kids just flock to it. Um, we have about 100 to 120 kids that come into the student center um, on a daily basis. Um, so these are just some of the pictures just so you can get an idea of how packed and full it gets at lunchtime. Um, we've had incredible opportunities to share the, the administration of the school um, is very supportive of what we're doing. Um, they actually send one of their uh, campus supervisors through to get the kids back to class. Um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so it's a quite, quite a variety um, of things that go on. We have quite a few different groups of kids that, that come through. Um, there's one group in particular that we have uh, began to minister to, um, and they're, we call them the family. Because there in the shopping center, um, there's a group that likes to call themselves a gang. Um, and they call themselves NMS, No Mercy Shown. Um, and they, they pick fights with this group that we call the family. Um, one time, uh, they, they just jumped a kid right out front of Squatches, and my wife had to run out and break it up and call the cops. There was another time where I started to see it and I had just walked out and of course, you know, most of them ran. Um, <laughs> but there was one kid, I was like, get out of here. Like, what will it take for you to get lost? Um, and, um, and all that. So they kind of have made that place their, their home. Um, they show up at like six in the morning um, because they've been wandering around all night um, because they just got kicked out of their house. Um, so if you go to the next slide, Oh, this, this isn't them, keep going. So this is them. Uh, this is a, a small group of them. Um, and there's probably about 15 to 20 of them. Um, go, to, go ahead and go to the next slide. This girl right her, here, her name's Riley. Um, and uh, you can see her singing. She has an incredible, beautiful voice. Um, but she said that she would not sing in front of people um, until she came to Sozo. It's the place that she feels safe, the most safe. Um, and this is kind of the story for all the kids. We have shared the gospel with them. We have talked to them about the Bible. They've asked a ton of questions about um, who we are, why we're doing what we're doing, why are you providing a place for us for free that we don't have to pay for and you just come in and you're so lax and chill. Um, we have rules, um, obviously, but we're not parenting them. 
um, and we're not on them. And so they, they have really taken a liking to us. And um, Riley said this about their group. She said, you know, everyone calls us the bad kids. And we know that we're called the bad kids, but we're not the bad kids. We're the hurt kids. And so we've been ministering to them. Um, on Friday, I was sitting with this group and I was talking to them and one of the girls had mentioned that she'd been in the foster system and she had, her guardian had just kicked her out uh, for a few days. And she had talked to her social worker. And I was like, you're in the foster system. Shouldn't you talk to your social worker? And social worker was like, well, you guys just need some space. So go hang out with your friends for a few days and then come back. And so I was like, I was like, wow. I was like, how do you eat? And they said, um, you know, we eat every other day. Um, and, and these are kids that you would look at and think, well, they, they have a home. They're normal kids. They're not, they don't look homeless. And so I, I, the Lord just spoke to me right there and just said, you're going to have dinner for them tonight. So I told him, I said, 6.30, we're going to have dinner tonight. So I, I went to Mary's and I splurged because the Lord just showed me these kids don't get splurged on. Uh, so I got pizzas, I got wings, I got breadsticks, I got salad, um, and we had a family dinner. I made them came, come in, I made them sit down around the table, um, and they kept saying, we never have this at their home. And so I told them, I said, every Friday night at 6.30, we will have family dinner right here. The only rule is you can't be high and you can't be drunk. And they said, okay. <laughs> and, I, and I was telling them like, hey, you, you know, like if there's other people that need it, let them know. And one guy's like, I'm not telling anybody about this. <laughs> I was like, okay, all right. Well. But, you know, we, we've just found ourselves to be in a place, um, that's my wife, um, we've just found ourselves to be in a place that, um, to minister to these kids and be the light and the salt and the love um, that they don't get. Uh, let's go ahead and go to the next one. Um, we, as part of our business model, um, we have all volunteers. We have no employees. Um, and so we get the teenagers to volunteer for their community service hours. Um, and they get barista training. Um, so that they'll be able to go out and find a job um, and, and resume building and stuff like that. So um, that's more of that. Let's keep going. Uh, this is an actual picture of what we sell at the coffee and ice cream sandwich shop. That's called an affogato, uh, which is a scoop of ice cream with espresso poured over it. Um, it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's so funny because my wife and I, we don't drink coffee. We hate coffee. And God's like, here, open up a coffee shop. So every espresso drink I make, I think, God, I pray this is good. Because um, I have no idea. Um, so we, you know, we have all the stuff that Starbucks has, uh, pumpkin spice lattes, uh, all that. Go ahead and go to the next one. This is our squatch. Um, this is our ice cream sandwich. Um, they are big, they are messy, and they are delicious. Um, so that's, that's how we hope to fund uh, the student center. Let's go ahead and go to the next picture. Uh, that's the board. 
So my wife and I are on the left, and then Christy and Rob are on the right. And then if you don't know, that person on the far right um, is Jeremy Affelt. Um, he's a San Francisco Giants pitcher. He has come and done two benefit dinners for us. Um, and him and Amy G uh, from the Giants have been very supportive, and Jeremy's fully behind what we're doing. Um, not so much financially, but uh, at least, um, at least in theory. Um, so let's go to the next one. So this is whosoever, um, Acts two twenty one. Um, there's a gentleman in our church that. Uh, knows how to do that painting freehand. Uh, so none of that's traced, um, but it's for whosoever will come. Is that the last one? I'm pretty sure that's the last one. So that's what God is doing there. And throughout all of this, obstacle after obstacle after obstacle has come up. Just like I was sharing about Joshua and Zerubbabel, um, it's been an incredible, um, inc- incredible amount of Uh, hurry up and go. So when we signed the lease, we thought we had this chunk of money coming from a donor um, that we would be able to to finish the work. Uh, That money did not come in. Um, And we have been pinching and, you know, scrimping and saving. And um, finally, when when we started to get it open, we, of course, ran into problems with uh, the health uh, department. Um, I'm pretty sure um, they're from Satan. Um, <laughs> some hard days, some hard days dealing with the, the health department. If you work for the health department, God bless you. Um, I don't want to disparage them too much. Um, but in the midst of all of it too, my, my sister's fiance uh, passed away. Um, someone that, that she had been with for nine years. And so I, I, I had gone up to visit and to spend time with her. And so I missed a Sunday. And my wife had driven our expedition at church and outside of church. And she comes out after church and our expedition had been stolen at church. <laughs> So I, so I tell my sister this, and my sister, she, she gives me her fiance's car um, just right then. And it was a miracle because we, I haven't worked in a few months. Um, the Lord has just provided in miraculous ways, and one of the ways was by having my car stolen um, because the insurance money that came, we were able to live off of because I had another car. And it's just been miracle after miracle after miracle where we get to a point and we feel like, okay, we're done. Like there's no money. There's, n- there's no way that we can finish. The health department's shut the door a billion times. Um, and God, you've brought us this far. What are you doing? I guess this is just a lesson for me and my wife and the board member about you know being faithful. And then all of a sudden, you just saw God's hand miraculously provide. And I share all of this because it's not by might and it's not by power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. And we can get so discouraged at the obstacles and the things that we see, but in the end, it's the Lord who does the work and it's the Lord who provides. So um, I hopefully, you know, I just want to be an encouragement to you guys um, to know what's going on, to please be praying for us, but uh, to know that, that God is a God of big dreams. 
Um, and just because you have a dream six years in the making and it seems like every door is shut um, and there's no money, uh, it's not by might, it's not by power, it's not by money, it's not by connections, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. We pray with me, Lord, we thank you for this morning, we thank you for your word and we thank you for your faithfulness. Lord, I pray for this, this church here, for Pastor Ross and the Rock family. And God, we ask that you would pour out your blessing upon them. Uh, Lord, the, the different people that you are raising up, that you are imparting vision and dreams to, uh, Lord, that they would abide in you, first and foremost, that they would make you the object of their affection and of their adoration. And Lord, through that, Lord, you would use them in this community. Lord, we thank you that you love us. Lord, we thank you that you love our neighbors. Lord, we thank you that you want to show yourself strong on our behalf. We thank you that your son Jesus died on the cross for our sins and made a path, made a way for us to be reconciled to you. We just love you in Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.